right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Giallo alongside Anthony Pine of RT Sport Online. We're also joined by Gary Rogers and Johnny McDonald today. And I wish we were kind of in a more cheerful mood, but unfortunately, the Armenia game and uh, the one nil result in Yerevan means we'll probably be starting on a more sour note. But then we'll move on to something a little bit more cheerful with the Ireland under 21s who are have taken a big step towards European Championship qualification. We'll also be picking an 11 of the mid-season so far from the League of Ireland with uh, Gary and Johnny picking uh, the different the 11 different players and also the player of the year. And we'll also talk about Kerry FC and uh, John Russell getting the Sligo Rovers job permanently. That is all coming up very, very shortly. But as I said, Anthony, you know, when you were setting the scene last week for this campaign, obviously there was a sense of momentum building for Ireland and Stephen Kenny's squad. And in one fell swoop, that's changed already. Yeah, it was, it, it's really disappointing, Raf. obviously. Um, no, I actually didn't think Ireland were bad throughout. I think they were quite good in the first half. But I, I worried for Ireland. There, there was a flurry sort of a few minutes before halftime where they had Armenia on the ropes. They really had them under pressure for about three or four minutes. And once Armenia came through that, I did have concerns for Ireland because I thought they might have punched themselves out, uh, especially in the heat. And it was one of those games where they, every time they headed the ball clear or tackled or booted the ball into the stand, there was a huge cheer. It seemed to galvanise them. Like I think last one, 9-0 by Norway, didn't they? So obviously uh, they needed to play. It was one of those games for them where they were kind of taking it in blocks of 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Can we get through? Every time they got through a 10-minute period, they grew in confidence. And in the second half, offensively, offensively they didn't really show much. Uh, they, they didn't show anything in the first half. But in the second half, they started to have a bit more of a goal. They were more aggressive forward. They still didn't make all that much. But I just felt like you could see it coming. I, felt, I thought Ireland just ran out of ideas. And the, the, the reality is that it isn't, it's a bit of a pattern with Ireland um, against teams like that because the likes of Armenia are going to show Ireland the respect, a certain level of respect. They, they played five at the back, which Stephen Kenny admitted caught them off guard. They didn't expect that. They'd, they'd watched them a lot. They prepared, you know, as you'd expect. And I think they usually all bar one game in the last 20 games or whatever, many games they watched, they, they played forward at the back. That's how Ireland had prepared. So they come up against five at the back and Ireland just weren't good enough to find a way through, you know, and, and that's, that is a worry because, you know, it's not the first time it's happened. Luxembourg, uh, Azerbaijan, like we, we've seen this before. We've seen these types of games before. And I, I just think, Raf, ultimately it comes down to a lack of individual quality because bar Ogbené, I couldn't see any Irish player that was able just to unpick the lock. I, Troy Parrott had a couple of moments in the first half where he went on one mazy run where he took two lads out. We just needed far more of that. Like I think in terms of, if you're, you're Stephen Kenny, you're looking at how they played. I think they did a lot of the type of stuff that he, he would have wanted them to do. You know, they, they kept the ball for prolonged spells, but the longer the game went on, the more predictable it was. And I, I just think Ireland, in those type of games against lower-ranked opposition, and that's how they're going to play. They back, they can see that it works. They were dogged, they were aggressive, and Ireland just didn't have enough. You know, they just didn't have something a little bit different. <coughs> Even looking at the under-21s last night, uh, I think the under-21s got three set pieces last night, and every time they got one, they did something different with it. You know, just something a little, a little bit of imagination to unsettle an opposition. I think just they, just they just need to find a way to crack that because it's a pattern now, and it is, and they are going to come up against it in the next campaign. Um, but there's no doubt it was it was a step back. It was a real blow, and it makes tomorrow evening 
absolutely massive. You know, they need a reaction. And if, if the ambition is to win the group, they have to win. They have to win uh, tomorrow evening, which is not going to be easy. Yeah, and tomorrow evening being the match against Ukraine at the Aviva Stadium, 7.45 kickoff, and it's going to be live on RT2 and the RT player from 7 o'clock. Now, let's just listen to Stephen Kenny, who was talking to um, Tony O'Donoghue, pitch side in Yerevan, and just get his thoughts, and then we'll, we'll delve more into detail about where things went wrong. That's a very it's a very disappointing result. You know, it's not getting away from that. We're not very disappointed about ourselves to lose um, in Armenia. And, uh, you know, um, again, to a goal from distance like that, that was disappointing. I think, uh, you know, we had some chances in the first half. For the last 20 minutes, the first half, I thought we got, started to get really on top. Didn't carry that into the start of the second half. And there were the threats was on... on uh, you know, on the counter, and uh, we got punished, and uh, we're disappointed. Yeah, and what can you do between now and, and Wednesday? Because obviously, a game in these conditions and the result is going to put a dent in everyone's confidence. Yeah, it is. A, it is a knock. You know, there's no no getting away from that. We're very disappointed to lose, and uh, you know, no excuses really. We just, uh, you know, we we. Um, didn't create enough clear-cut chances in that second half against Armenia. We, you know, we should be creating more than we did, and uh, you know, we're disappointed with the, with the goal we conceded. So, I think uh, we we got to dust ourselves down. We got a tough game to Ukraine on Wednesday. That's the way it is. That's the nature of the Nations League. Four games, so we can't dwell on it. We've got to pick ourselves up and go again. All right. So that is Ireland manager Stephen Kenny in Yerevan just after the defeat. Now, obviously, as he said, they have to regroup for the Ukraine game. But let's just go back to and break down what happens again. What happened against Armenia, uh, Gary? Just on the defensive side and the goal that was conceded, uh, the Spurtsian goal from long range. It's a bit of a pattern now where there have been goals from long range where there's been an issue with closing down. Uh, is that like when you look at it in terms of is it coincidental or is it a function of the system? Look, I think you know, a long range, they, they kind of there was two long range shots that they had the chance of then Kevin Keller made a save at his near post in, in, in the first half, and obviously the, the goal, like you know, long range shots, it's it's a difficult one to, to like you're, you're obviously expecting you know the keeper to have a good chance from distance, like it was a terrific strike, and um, we'd. But you, you've got to have a little bit more pressure on the ball, and they'll just be disappointed. Like they have, they didn't really cut Ireland open, as you know. Like, and it was counter attacks that was um, was the issue in the in the second half primarily. But you know, I think you know you'd be more worried about um, breaking breaking down the opposition. You know, in, in when you've got five at the back and you've got that low block, I think that would be more um, of a talking point for the management team than the actual long range shots. Um, like you know, you, you'll you'll get strikes where you, you get somebody. You know, pull that wonder strike and fix it in the top corner or the bottom corner, whatever it is, and you'll have that. But yeah, I think you'd be more you'd be more worried about you know not creating enough clear cut chances. I know there was chances created, but nothing really that you would say was an absolute sitter. Um, and and it's difficult. Um, you know, Johnny will tell you look for for teams. You know, that can set up you know to frustrate you. And you know, the, the longer the game goes, that momentum certainly built for Armenia. And as you said earlier, that they really I suppose you know took great um, courage from that. You know the fact that they were able to defend in blocks, and as time went, it, it was looking more ominous for us. Yeah, and uh, Johnny, just on the the overall system, and 
how they try and get the balance right. So they played five, two, three, two in the middle and kind of three uh, forwards that were taking up different positions in Parrot, Ogbeni and Robinson. But it seems sometimes Ireland look better when they have the extra player in midfield who's sort of like a link. Jamie McGrath has done it to good effect and Jason Knight in the second half in Luxembourg. Uh, do you feel that's maybe the tweak that could help Ireland going forward? I, I, I think the, the three up top, the rotation is good because it gives defenders a lot, a lot to think about you know the, the two in the center then the, the the wing backs are so important there because they're your options for your way out there's nothing on going forward where you might have to play a side pass but with the two in the middle and you, when you get a little bit disjointed when you lose possession that's where you can get overrun you know with just the two most teams play three in the middle there and uh, so that's where you can get overrun sometimes with the two in the middle look you know I, I think you've got to take each game on its merit and, you know, we, we've touched on about the Irish teams, you know, when they're in possession, are they doing enough to break teams down? What way are they going to break them down? You know, when they're out of possession, I think we do better against the better teams. A bit like Armenia against us. I think it, it mirrors that. Uh, tweaking the system, I, I just think you need to know what, you know, fellas need to know what their jobs are, who gets forward, what where the wing-backs get forward, do they overlap, do they come inside? Now, who supports the tree? When the tree, as you said, are rotating, when we lose the ball, where did he get to? Where's the nearest position to defend? How did he help out the two midfield? Are the two wingbacks deep or are they up high? So there's gaps. So look, you know, to play against teams like Armenia, you know, if we've lots of possession, we need to do it quicker and faster. Uh, absolutely you, you think of Manchester City and stuff like that it's already having lots of percentage of the ball on top of it 60% or 74% or whatever else but we need to maximise that and we need to we need to make sure that we utilise the, the time on the ball that we have that we get into forward positions to create chances for our three forwards that you're, you have up there I don't know whether that answers it in the best way I can wrap but just the, the two in midfield leaves you short sometimes and is it enough when you're attacking yeah, and so how? What's the best way to, I guess, give support to those two in midfield, and that would be Cullen and Hendrick. The best way is, you know, I, I think this, I think the system with two midfielders is four, two, three, and, and a one. That you've three in front, so they're always close to the midfield, but they're also close to the attack as well. So I, I think, you know, if you're playing the two isolated on their own, the wing backs are so, so important because they're your way out all the time or they're the ones that tuck in and give you that, that bank of maybe a four. So you have a three and a four in midfield then. So the two wide players who play wing backs, it's either them or else it's the player in front, the deepest attacking player comes back and helps out midfield. Yeah, and Gary, just on, on that point as well, um, does it just show just how important Matt Doherty is to that system as a wing back? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Matt is probably a standout player and he, that's his natural position to play that wing back and Seamus then plays, you know, right of a three and I think he's, he was a massive loss. I think you make a good point about the likes of McGrath and uh, Connor Ronan, these guys obviously who are not in the squad but have tucked in and done really well and they're kind of good technical players. And like, we don't, like say, in a game like the Armenia game, we probably don't get the best out of Ogbeni because he's more of a counter-attacking style of player. Now, he did well in the game. He was probably the one bright point um, but you know you, you need sort sort of technically like a real technical number ten in order to pick the lock if you like and, and move that ball quickly and and as Johnny says you need to move it with pace and you need to you know move them around because when you have got 
team sitting in, you've got to ask questions and poke holes in that defence and move it quickly and out the far side. And the likes of McGrath and Conor Ronan potentially and, and Jack as well. But I, I think Smallbone, who's been excellent for the 21s, he he could be you know a solution because he's you, you wouldn't be bringing in the likes of Ronan and McGrath there because you know they're on they're on the holidays. But Smallbone has played really well for the 21s in both games. He's been standout for the 21s. I know Jim Crawford won't like to hear <laughs> he'll want them for Italy and, and have a great chance of qualifying. But that sort of a player is probably what's needed in there, especially against Armenia. Ukraine is a different is a different kind of fish. I think it will it will suit um, Ireland better, Ukraine, because they'll come out and play a little bit more. And you would you would think that Robinson and Benny would be able to use their their pace um, and you know the fact that this should be a more open game of football. Yeah, Gary, and- that's sorry, Raf, that's a, that's a really important point, Gary. Like if you're playing a th- against a team at low block, there's no space for the likes of Benny or even Parrot to run in behind. So you need someone to li- that's there to link up with the play. Again, Ukraine might come out, the space might be in behind, so it might benefit us there. But if you're playing against a low block, if there's no space there, you can't go in. As well, I'll just add on that, lads. Like we're talking about systems and formations, and so like the players have to take a bit more responsibility in in certain situations as well. Like you're playing that sort of game. As I said, we've seen this a few times now. Things go against you against the team that you know that you should beat or you're expected to beat. Now that brings a pressure. And within a match, if something goes against you, whether it's some lad banging in a screamer or a little break or you know a decision goes against you, it does take a bit of character and personality to wrestle back control of the game. And I think Ireland are lacking. They were lacking that uh, the other evening and they've lacked it before. There's been games against the bigger teams where they've done very well, but you just need to show a little bit more personality and it needs somebody to back themselves and try Like Smallbone's goal last night for the under-21s was a volley, a controlled volley. He just hit the target. The keeper probably should have saved it, but he hit the target. He took a chance. He scored. Like I, I would like to see more of that. I think the, the players... like. Kenny's going to get all the flack. He's the manager. That's just the way it is. But I do think some of the players need to look at themselves. I know it was hot and I know it was difficult and, and all of that, but like I just thought the second half was, was disappointing. And, and there's individuals that I think you'd expect more. I thought the subs, I don't think any of the subs did well when they came on. You know, a lot of talk about Michael Albafemi coming back into the squad. He's done really well at Swansea. Just didn't do it when he came on. You know, and in actual fact, he lost the ball in the run-up to the goal. So I think like, Sometimes you actually have to look at certain individuals, particularly the more experienced players, and say, listen, you, you, you have to do a little bit more in those situations to make things happen. Because all of these teams now, all of these international teams, Armenia, Luxembourg, whoever it is, they are well-drilled. They're going to be pretty fit. It's not like the old days where you know you have amateur setups in, on the international stage. And you're going to have to... It, it requires a little bit more work uh, to crack them open. You know, and, and Ireland just, you know, that's what they were lacking and have lacked in other games. And this really does need sort now. Yeah, and yeah, sorry, Johnny, go on. No, just just talking about Jamie McGrath and stuff, like Jeff Hendrick hasn't been playing for QPR. Am I right in saying that? He hasn't Pretty been much in, in recent in recent weeks, yeah. And I think I think what Stephen has said to all the players, and I've heard him saying this, so I, I think it's factual that he said if the players are not playing, he's not gonna he's not gonna use them. So Jamie McGrath hasn't been playing for Wigan. But either is Jeff Hendricks. So Jeff hasn't been playing either. So why did Jeff? Why was Jeff involved, and why was Jamie not involved? Two different type of types of players for this type of match. Jeff's more of a, you know, runner. You know, he's big, athletic runner. Gets in behind the fences. Jamie can get on the ball and pick the lock, as the lad said. So I, I was just wondering why Jeff was involved and Jamie wasn't. 
yeah, Jamie hasn't Jamie wasn't picked in March either for yeah. similar reasons, and then also now in June. So just on that, Johnny, then in terms of people you would say are nailed on within the squad and in the starting eleven that really should be there, because like say David Connolly was with us last week and he was he was kind of questioning Callum Robinson for the same reason of lack of games really for West Brom and last lack of goals in the run in. Um, who is nailed on in the team other than say? Obviously, we've got three good goalkeepers to choose from, and then Ogbené seems to be playing quite well. The, the John Egan's and stuff like that, yeah, definitely. You know the the players that are playing every week. I, I think I think he should stick with, with with one of the forwards. You know, as I said, I prefer if he had one focal point up top. If it's whether it's Parrot, you know, uh, is is anybody really guaranteed a place? That's what I, I I'd be saying, Raf. You know, if you're saying, well, if, if fellas are coming into the squad and going, we're definitely playing. I think that's probably a bad mindset to come into a camp with, you know. So I, I'd be going with the fact that there's whatever, there's 22 players or there's 20 players here, all places are up for grabs and whoever does the best for me, you know. And I think if you have that mindset, rather than have the mindset of, well, I'm nailed in, there's a little drop of two or three percent off a fellow when he knows he might be in. So without naming fellas and saying, yeah, he definitely should play, who should play after getting beat by Armenia? Who? That's a good question. Let's talk about the newcomers into the relative newcomers into the team. So Nathan Collins appeared to have a reasonably good game. Gary, what did you make of his performance in the in the back three? Yeah, probably just started a little bit sloppy. And I think the thing about it is, you know, it's something that we forget is like you've got players from League One and you've players from the SPL and you've players from Championship from Premier League, and they've all they've all finished the season, whether it be two weeks ago, three weeks ago, or nearly four weeks at this stage. And they're coming into into a group, and you know, without having a competitive game, you've been on holidays and all the rest, and they're coming in, and they're over in Armenia, and it's scorching heat, and it's just about like Nathan Collins did really. He's had a brilliant season. Um, started a little bit sloppy, um, but I think you know he he's one one certainly one for the future. I think he's been he's been excellent, and there's a lot of talk about him and he possibly move and all the rest, but. Um, yeah, like in terms of debut, it's difficult to, you know to go away from home, make a debut in Armenia and whatever, but. Yeah, I think it's just. I think we forget the fact that you know players have been been away in holidays, and you know it's a kind of a case of you know they've all had different finish dates, and I think it's it's difficult to kind of. I think Stephen himself said that you know they were a little bit rusty, and you'd like to think off the back of that game, like you can do all the training you want in the camp, but it's about what you do on a match day and a game day, and I think you know you'd be hopeful that there'll be a bounce after playing a game, and I I don't think you. Can make too many changes. I think the guys who have played, um, obviously, like Seamus is out, so there will be a bit of a reshuffle, a reshuffle there. But you know, you'd like to have a little bit of continuity in the in in the selection. Yeah, and there will be with Cleveland Kelleher, of course, as well with Gavin Bazunu being injured, which uh, offered the opportunity for him to start in Armenia, and he more than likely will be starting in against Ukraine as well. What did you make of his uh, first competitive start? Yeah, like, I think Kevin has been excellent. I know, like, any time there's a goal going in, there's always question marks over you. But I think, all in all, like he, he's he's a terrific goalkeeper. He's got fantastic composure. He's got great speed around the goal. I think you see from this the shot he saved in the first half, how quick he was to get down and and, and make the save. And look, you know, we're blessed with goalkeepers because Matt Harvest has has been excellent as well. Arguably, has the best form of all three, you know, playing the championship to a very high level. I don't know how many man in the matches he got for Bournemouth this year. So it's one position where we, we truly are are blessed with and, and, and the future is bright there. There's, there's good guys coming through 21s as well. So um, I think, you know, goalkeeping is certainly not going to be an issue no matter who, who he plays. 
Yeah, and Anthony, just on the overall picture then, as you set the scene out a little bit earlier from the Armenia game, but let's say the hypothetical that there are no wins over this four-game window, like how does that change the pressure on Kenny and then maybe uh, what the pressure to change the system or just, you know, to make some radical overhaul? Well, I mean, it, it obviously ramps up the pressure on him because it's a results game. And, you know, he knows that it's every game. That, you know, particularly when he lose to a team like Armenia, which everybody would have said that was the ideal game to start. But then, look, you know, to be fair about it, there were certain things that made that game trickier. As, as Gary says, like they're coming in at the end of the season. It was that little break where it was apparent there was some rustiness and the heat absolutely was a factor. But it wasn't a good performance. It was a terrible result. And it just ramps up the pressure uh, on the in the next couple of the games uh, in particular. I, I guess it's a good thing that the games are coming quick now for Ireland. Like There's a chance to just get it out of the system straight away. You'd have to say they're probably getting Ukraine at a good time, just in terms of like they've, they've come off the back of that game against Wales, the World Cup playoff, uh, which would have been, you know, that was an absolutely giant game and, and maybe emotionally draining on them. So maybe there's the opportunity to catch them cold. Um but look, every time, like we've seen it since Kenny took over, more or less, every time Ireland have a bad result or a good result, it's like a national referendum. It's, it's. I don't think I've ever seen a manager split the public the way that Stephen Kenny has. There's people who are really fervently behind him, and there's other people that don't believe he's up for the job, up to the job. So every time, like something like Saturday happens, you're going to get this big debate again. It will kick up again. Um, but ultimately, it's 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 a results game, and you know he he needs now a response uh, tomorrow night, and then again on on Saturday against you know a decent Scotland team. Yeah, and Johnny, just on those two home games, then uh, against uh, first the Ukraine game, and then against Scotland, and as Anthony outlined there, both teams are coming off the back of defeats in a World Cup playoff, which will obviously be a blow. And then, of course, there's the with Ukraine, up, uh, which I think is slightly different. Obviously, they're they're playing for a lot more than World Cup uh, World Cup games and things like that, just with the situation um, that's happening in their country at the moment. But is it a, a sort of a good time to be facing both of those teams? Well, look, you, you can't be dependent on other teams to see how they are. You've got to be make, make sure that you're right yourself and we're prepared right. Uh, I think Gary is right. I don't think he'll change it too much. Ukraine has been quite emotional for them, as we as we know, or everything that's going on. But, you know, we're talking about fellas not playing matches and being a bit rusty. Ukraine have played two matches in the last few days. They'd be well at it if they put their team out. They'd be well on top. They should be sharp. Looking at Scotland, Scotland with the defeat. Their heads might be down now and uh, they might, might have a few fellas dropping out of the squad and they might be 100%. But again, they they played a couple of matches recently. So is it a good time to play? You know, it's, it, it's, it's the next match. It's the most important match for us. And we've got to go and get a result tomorrow. Yeah, certainly. And getting results is something the Ireland under-21s did successfully. They uh, beat Bosnia 3-0 on Friday and then followed it up against Montenegro on Monday at Tallis Stadium. 3-1 win. Uh, excellent performance. Much improved performance. Let's, let's listen to Jim Crawford, head coach, who was speaking after the Montenegro game, just about how proud he was of his players. Jim, congratulations. I know... A 3-1 win, it looked comfortable, but uh, you were very nervous on that sideline. How are you feeling right now? No, I'm feeling great. I am, you know, it was a decent performance, our final um, game in Tallis Stadium, and, and I hope the fans enjoyed it. There was a lot of good passages of play, and, and you know, for me, it was a lot better than the other night, but uh, the most important thing was getting the three points, and, you know, you're obviously 
disappointed you conceded a goal, but we learned from that and we start getting ourselves ready now for the game against Italy. Jim, you've made wholesale changes this evening, but I tell you what, you've got a selection headache going into that Italian game because so many guys are putting up the hand here right now, aren't they? Yeah, but, but that's the group that we have. And I've said it time and time again in team meetings, uh, it, it's a squad game, it's a squad that's going to get us over the line in this. And they just proved it, you know, and I'm sure there's probably people saying, oh, they've made too many changes, you know, from a winning team, but we had to, you know, because the game on Friday was a half-seven kickoff, and today was five, so it was even less time than normal to, to recover, and, um, you know, the boys that came in today done excellent, you know, and there was two lads making their debut, and, you know, they, they were very, very good. Jim, can I ask you where your head is at in terms of this group? Italy have won tonight, OK? They play Sweden on Thursday. Like, it's very hard to look at the group and kind of make a call on it, but how are you feeling now with just the one game to go against Italy? Obviously, Italy-Sweden is massive on Thursday. How are you yeah. feeling about the whole thing? Yeah, look, it is what it is. I'm not too concerned. We've never put up the group table in team meetings. We never spoke about it. We just took each game um, for its own merits, you know? So, being nice now to sit back and see what happens between Sweden and Italy on the tour, which will, you know, obviously change a lot of things for ourselves, you know, because if it's a draw, we can go on and win the group. And if, if Sweden win, you know, we've got to go to uh, to Italy and win. And if we win, you know, there's every chance we win the group again. So it's, uh, um, we're, we're in a nice place, that's for sure. And you're in that place because of four wins on the bounce. How impressive has that been from your perspective as manager with the lads that you're managing? Yeah, it's been very impressive. The lads, they've been getting better and better every window we've come in. You know, and I know there was a there was a time there people were asking questions where we went away to Montenegro, we got beat. Uh, we went over to Luxembourg and we drew, but we missed penalties that um, that would have changed the game. You know, and we would have accumulated more points had we had scored the two penalties that we missed. You know, and and you know, so at that stage, you know, I know there was people asking questions, but certainly the staff and the players themselves. Uh, knew that we could um, get to the playoffs at least, and we're, we're in a good um, we're in a good place now. That's Ireland under 21 head coach Jim Crawford. As he says after the Montenegro game, they're in a really good place now. Anthony, there's a couple of things here. First, uh, they still have the final game to play in Italy, and depending on circumstances, and we'll be looking very closely at Thursday when Sweden play or when Sweden host Italy. Sweden being third in the group, Italy obviously being just one point ahead of Ireland, but that's going to be decisive in terms of how. Ireland approach that final game next Tuesday? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I have to say, Raf, um, I think they've been really, really good, you know, really impressive. But the, the job that Jim Crawford has done overall, like it's such a challenging job. I think there was a, a graphic, RT showed a graphic on Friday of the players that who will be eligible for the squad now that are um, currently in the senior team. You're talking like sort of seven or eight players who were obviously huge assets at that level. So he's had to, like, he would be the first to say that a big part of his job is to feed those players through. That's a great success for him as an under-21 coach to feed them into the senior setup. But at the same time, like, as a team, they want to, they want to get to that uh, under-21s finals. It's never been done. An Ireland team has never done it at that age grade. And I just think, like, you know, he, he referenced it there in the interview. Like, it hasn't been a smooth campaign. Like, they slipped up over in... Luxembourg, they were they were beaten in the throw. So to stitch this run of results together, and you look at the turnover of players, even from Friday, uh, like they brought in Cashin, Kerrigan, 
Connor Noss came in last night. They lost Ushin McIntyre the other night. He, he injured his shoulder. Um, yeah, they, they were really good last night. And I, I like them. What I like about that under 21s team is that they're they can really mix it up. Like they're good at keeping the ball. They've got the likes of Smallbone, uh, Coventry, uh, very comfortable on the ball, very capable of keeping the ball for long periods, um, you know, sustained periods of possession. They can also live without the ball when they went to win in Sweden um back in the spring. You know, that was a game where they had to batten down the hatches. They 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 didn't have possession that night, but they're they're organized, they're compact, they're, they're very well set up. And, you know, as I said earlier on, just like their set pieces are clever. Like everything about them is just very well organized, very well coached. And I would fancy them right now to, to get a result in Italy if they had to. Like they're flying. You know, he's, he's built, he's managed to, even though they've lost a lot of very good players over the last year, he still managed to, they've got, they've got good, they're bringing in the likes of Adam Marola and uh, Evan Ferguson now came off the bench and looks, even though I think Evan is still only 17, I think, you know, well able for that level physically and he's, he's a mature type of player anyway. So it's it's been a really, really good campaign for that team and you'd love to see them get over the line and do it. You know, I, I think the playoffs, everybody would have taken that at the start of the, the campaign. That's that's now, they'd, they'd be very unlucky not to make the playoffs. But look, we don't know how it's going to go because... As Jim Crawford said there, if Sweden do manage to beat Italy on Thursday night, it, it, it leaves Ireland in a position where they have to go over to Italy and get a result. And even though I think I don't think that's beyond them, it's still a massive ask. I think really what you're looking for is, is to Sweden to, to slip up, just to give them the to guarantee the playoff. And, you know, a draw on Thursday would mean that Ireland could go to Italy with a free swing, guarantee the playoff spot. But if they actually turned Italy over, they'd win the group. So, no, it's great. It's great. And, they, you know, they're a good watch. They really are a good watch. Yeah, and dealing with pressure as well as uh, Tyreek Wright, one of the scorers, a uh, scorer of the third goal at the end. I think he, he had a he had a quote to RT Sport where he said, "Pressure makes diamonds," and they seem to be they seem to be able to manage these situations quite well. Like in terms of the game management, Gary, uh, especially compared to you know Friday, obviously they got the result against Bosnia, but Montenegro they really need Montenegro were a much superior team as Lisa Fallon said on analysis pre-game, and I think it was kind of visible, especially in that first half, how they managed the game, especially as Anthony he said in midfield uh, just how impressed were you with them yeah no, they've got great composure um, and you know, they have a system and a style of play and they really stick to it and you know you look at their midfield like they played Coventry a uh, small one and not in the midfield and they took, they took Kenny to come in as well like they've got really really good technical players in there so comfortable on the ball I think I think uh, small one was excellent in both games he was sensational it really was um, but like it wasn't just him you know you look at the group around him like they obviously made changes. Kerrigan was superb, came in. But like, you know, it's a fantastic, you know, group of players. And I think you have to give Jim massive credit. Like it's not a case of he has a set 11. Like, you know, I think more or less everybody has played their part in that squad. And there's been guys who are not even in the squad now who have, who have scored goals in the campaign along the way. So it's been brilliant. I think it, they've been very, very impressive and it would be terrific if they could qualify and, you know, and go to a tournament. I think, you know, you look at the players that are, uh, like Anthony says, like you like Bazunu, Collins, Paris, Fessy, Omar Bamadeli, all these guys that are eligible to play. Like and, and you, you look at the young guys coming through, like Ferguson. Ferguson's excellent. He's come on both games. He's come on and made a real impact um, in both games. This was fantastic in the build-up to Tariq's goal as well. So um, it's, a it's a brilliant group. The management team have done terrifically well. And wouldn't it be brilliant to see you know, an Ireland number 21 team qualify for, for a major tournament? 
Yeah, and not just getting to a tournament, I guess, but the benefit. And I was speaking to Jim Crawford at Abbottstown about a month ago, just before uh, before this window kicked off, and he was talking about the way John O'Shea, you know, had had the experience as a as a young as a young kind of Ireland youth international uh, under in the time of Brian Kerr and how beneficial that was for him, and also Jim Crawford himself having played in the World University Games back in 1993. Again, he was talking about the the benefits in terms of the bonds you build with people. So Johnny, in terms of longer term consequences it's not just the history of getting there it's the benefits of being at a tournament which is actually taking place in Romania and Georgia yeah and you know what that's that that, that that's a huge benefit if they do qualify that people have that experience that they're not going in into the dark they've been there before they know how to deal with the, with the with the competition that they you know getting there playing the force match making sure you get something out of your force game the recovery sessions the field all that type of stuff the rest the recovery as i said but you know that that's vital to them if they get there and that experience will definitely stand to them but just listening to jim there in his interview you know he, he keeps things nice and simple gary talks about you know his system and his players know what they're doing but you just listen to him, he's calm. I watched the match yesterday, the players were calm, but they, they done things nice and quick, but they were lovely and calm on the ball. They, there was great patterns of play where they switched the play, they got it forward, they got it back. They were content to keep the ball, to find the openings, and, and when they got the opportunity to do that, they had the players that the unlock uh, unlock uh, teams with the, with, the, with the key. But just listen to Jim, as I said, nice and calm, doesn't talk about philosophies or this and that. He said, uh, he said uh, we'll, we'll manage the game, we'll take the game, on its merits and that's what, he, that's what he does and he spoke about not putting the table up on in the dressing room just playing the next game you know it's out of their control what happens to Sweden and Italy but you know if it goes their way I think Jim and the staff will be ready yeah, taking the game on its merits. Obviously, you just remind me of John Giles as well, which was uh, always uh, uh, the, the phrase you always but, would go but, back but, to. But, but that's how, but that's how the game should be played. But you know what? You, you know, I, I think Anthony said it a few minutes ago. The players have to take responsibility, and that's what that is. Seizing the opportunity, seeing something like you, you, you might set up a system where you, so you say we play down the right hand side, but if you're getting in through the middle, you've got to take that opportunity and take the responsibility as a player. And that's what Anthony was saying. Players take responsibility and taking control on the pitch. Managers and coaches are there to guide you and give you opportunities to do things, but the players need to take responsibility on the pitch. Yeah, and uh, in terms of players to step up, so uh, Gary, you mentioned Will Smallbone earlier, I think is probably the obvious one, and that's three goals in the last two games from midfield, and he's obviously somebody who's had a, a small amount of experience playing in the Premier League. Anyone else from the squad in the medium term, do you think, would be look ready almost for a step up to the seniors? Yeah, well, you, you look at you look at uh, Ferguson and, and you know when he comes into games. I know he's a bit young probably now, but I'm just very very impressed with him. Um, Teo, young young uh, right back at Crystal Palace, has made his Premier League debut. Like, you know, I wouldn't be pushing for them to be into this in the squad right now, but there's certainly players, you know, that that will be knocking on the door. Like you know, any of the midfielders have, have done well. Coventry and Kilkenny have all done well. Smallbone, Knox came in, did really well. So like, there's huge there's huge talent there. Um, but Smallbone is definitely the one that you would say, um, you know, would be fit. You could, 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 could bring him up with the rest of the guys there now, but like he'd be, um, he'd be a massive loss though if, if that was the case to to Jim, and, and the, he'd really love to have him obviously for the the game in Italy. Yeah, the only other point from that game yesterday um, against Montenegro, it's the attendance. So Richie Sadler had a little point on that. We'll just get your thoughts on that. You want to make a little Richie rant before we move oh, on? Oh, the crowd! Look <laughs> like what the, like the. the the pitch is great, 
there's huge amount at stake. This lot play football. The sun is shining. Like, it's a bank holiday. Like, if you love football, if you want to support Irish football, what the hell are you doing that could be better than coming here in a time like this? So, disappointing so few people are here, but I hope the players just forget all that, focus on what they're here to do and, uh, and go and do it. Just on the attendance, uh, which was 3,126 and what Richie Sadler had to say there, um, like, what's your view on that? Obviously, it was a bank holiday, um, but again, with the, the way and the momentum that that team have, maybe it would have been nicer, obviously, to have a bigger crowd out for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's surprising, actually, you know, given the, the result um, on Friday in the previous game against Bosnia to, to have, won't say such a poor showing, but like you would like to think the momentum that they're building, the, the amount of wins they have, consecutive wins, uh, and it's the last game, could be the last opportunity to see that on the 21 team there um, together, I suppose, in Ireland, obviously. Um, and it is disappointing that there wasn't more to say because, like, you know, it's a really good group, as we've already mentioned, and it's, it was a good opportunity to go and see them live. Yeah, there was um, something in one of the papers this morning as well that there's the potential that they might take the under-21 games to Cork as well. I don't know what you'd make of that. Uh, well, look, I think, you know, Tala, you know, the pitch is excellent. I'm not so sure about Turner's Cross. I've been there this year now. It's generally quite good, but they do play a lot more football down there because, you know, the Cork District League own it. And it, it, it there tends to be a lot, an awful lot more football. Whereas I think Tala is, is an excellent stadium. And once they get the, um, the other end done as well, which will be done for next year, I think it'd be a shame to take it out of Tala. Yeah. And uh, we're just going to switch now to the Women's National League. And uh, over on Saturday, uh, P Mount United got back on track with a 7 0 win over Cork City. Uh, Shelburne, the champions and runaway leaders at the moment, drew 1 1 with Galway. Athlone Town continue their good form, 2 1 win over Bowes. And then Treaty United lost 4 0 at home to DLR Waves. Sligo Rovers beat Wexford 1 0, which is significant for the top end of the table. Shelburne at the moment on 34 points, Wexford 26, Athlone 25 and P-Mount 23. Um, overall, Anthony, it doesn't really, like the weekend doesn't really change the picture. It only kind of shows just how much of a cushion Shelburne have. Yeah, well, Wexford, you know, that was the chance to try and eat into the gap there. And uh, they said from their point of view, unfortunately, they slipped because I don't think Shells are going to drop too many points like that at Talca Park particularly. Um, Athlone lost to Wexford last week and bounced back straight away, So, which is exactly what they would want. They're having a really strong campaign and are in third, sitting pretty in third in great form. And the result of the weekend was Sligo Rovers. You know, like, that was absolutely brilliant result for them. Um, the keeper, Amy Mann, had a, had a game of her life that day. She was actually the number two only a couple of months ago. And um, she got a chance due to an injury to the first choice keeper. And she's been brilliant, and her penalty saved earned them the win. So that's that's a great result for them. Uh, I think the team of the year so far is is Athlone. Like shells are up there, but you'd expect that shells won the league last year, beating in the cup final. But it's it's great to see Athlone doing so well. Like the other big development this week, Raf was Strada United have appointed Laura Donovan as um, their new head of women's football. Andrada, you know, they, they plan to enter uh, teams into the underage leagues. And I would imagine eventually they'd be looking to enter a senior team into the Women's National League. So, again, like this is it's good to see new clubs coming into the division and, and then being competitive. You know, I, I do think this division is, is much more competitive than it was last season. And it's making it harder for P-Mount and Wexford to keep pace with Shells because they're slipping up in games where they wouldn't have done in past years. You know, the likes of Athlone, Sligo Rovers, these are new clubs into the division, but they're, they're improving very quickly. 
and they seem to be quite well resourced. They're getting good players in, good coaches in, and as I said, it's, it's, it's great to see Drada. Uh, you know that that development in Drada is, is is a big plus as well because you know you'd expect now if they're shown that ambition and that organisation and drive that hopefully in the next couple of years they'll be into the they'll be in the league. Um, so overall, that, that that's the big positive. Um, but yeah, look right now in terms of picking a winner, like Shells have, I think it's, it's eight points. They've got an eight point buffer. Yeah, eight points. Yeah, like it's they're just they they have that knack of just churning out wins. You know, just just getting over the line and one nils and two ones. Whereas at the minute, Wexford and P Mount are getting pegged back. You know, dropping, you know, dr- drawing games or losing games narrowly. So Shell's running the driving seat, but I don't know, I still, I still have a feeling that there could be some twists and turns. I, I said last week that Shell's are going to lose Saoirse Noonan soon, uh, which is a big loss for them. And, you know, all it takes is a couple of little slips and it lets the chasing pack back in. So, yeah, it still could go to the wire yet, Raph. Yeah, and just on the growth that you talked about there with Drada coming in and then, you know, you can look at the example of Sligo Rovers, obviously new to the league and have really taken to it well, 16 points in 13 games, which is really impressive. And going back to what Lisa Fallon said when we did the preview at the just when the just before the season started and kind of her call for more clubs that are linked to the men's Premier Division or First Division clubs to establish women's teams. They can look at those examples, I guess, and uh, it's encouragement in terms of that overall goal then by 2025 that the FAI have set out to have a uh, second tier as well. Yeah, well, like, uh, you know, look, it's it's getting, well, it's showing the ambition and the intention to do it and, and the want to do it. And then it's, it's getting the right people in place, you know, not just going through the motions and, and it's almost like a tick box and tick box and exercise. It has to be like, this is what we want to do and this is what we want to achieve within this period of time and then clubs challenging themselves and pushing themselves to get to, to do that so um like i think we're just to talk about drada like laura donovan is an a licensed coach she's got really good relevant experience she's worked with beyond under 17s and that would look from the outside looking in that that's a very sensible uh, appointment for you know you're putting someone in place in a position that she can have influence and would have a, a good idea of what she wants to do and, and hopefully you know how uh, drive drawdown at underage and then eventually senior level and you know you can see, obviously it's the same that's the case at Athlone uh, and Sligo Rovers too because you know the success they've had it's not accidental they've obviously they've got good people there and they've, you know they've probably recruited well as well they've got good players in Athlone made some made some good signings in the off season like they brought players in with decent experience uh, in the round the league as well to help them so um it is positive. Look, there's still a long way to go, but uh, it's it's moving in the right direction, hopefully. Um, and you know, when you see other clubs, Sligo, Bohemians, uh, now Drada, own in the last couple of years making these sort of steps, then you know you'd hope that everybody else follows suit and they can kind of drive each other on a bit. Which is, you know, that's that's the big thing about the division this year. It does, as I said, I repeat myself, but it. It, it does look more competitive and that's good for everyone. You know, that's how you raise standards. Most certainly. And we're going to stick with the theme of growth because uh, we're going to just uh, discuss the men's game now and Kerry FC uh, could be 
potentially a club in the first division next season. So the news this week that they were accepted into the club licensing process by the FAI. Now, obviously, they have to get through the process and have it approved and then potentially get to the league. But it's backed by a former League of Ireland player in Billy Dennehy, who is from Kerry, and there are American-based directors as well. And in the statement that they put out, just the first part of it, it has been a dream for many years to provide the highest level of senior football in the kingdom. And Kerry FC hope to be successful in our bid to bring League of Ireland football to Mount Hawk Park in February 2023. So that's in Tralee. In terms of growing the league and actually taking it to areas where it hasn't been represented before, how positively do you look at this particular development? Yeah, it's absolutely a massive positive, obviously, you know, to have football represented in Kerry. I know the GEA probably won't be too happy, but it's great, you know, that Billy and uh, Kerry football and uh, there's strong um, junior clubs in Kerry. Obviously, you have John Egan uh, in the international team. So there's, there's there's good footballers in there, there's no doubt. So it's great that, you know, they'll have a focal point, you know, in order to achieve League of Ireland football in, in the, the local community. So it, it's uh, it's a massive pro- positive. And obviously, look, Billy being a League of Ireland man knows what it takes and has been around there for a while. So it's, uh, you know, it's a huge step in the right direction. And, and look, the, the league needs it. Obviously, there's been an imbalance in the, in the first division. I think we mentioned it earlier in the season. And, you know, it's not ideal having, uh, having that week off. And, they are looking at a third tier as well. So look, there's lots of uh, stuff to happen. And it's great that, you know, the club have put their hand up and said, listen, we want this and we're coming in and, and they're putting all the, the, the right right things in place and they have their stadium there and, and they'll have a pathway for their underage players to play uh, senior football in the League of Ireland, which is which is can only be a good thing. And in regards to a third tier as well, so say, let's say Kerry FC do go through the licensing process, get into the first division and then kind of fill that out as a 10 team league. When you look at the other parts of the country where, you know, there are a lot of gaps there in terms of representation, where do you think there's good potential? Um, Obviously, there will probably be reserve teams um, primarily in that third tier. But outside of that, what areas would you be looking at in terms of catchment areas with good sized populations and potentially being able to uh, sustain a club and a fan base as well. Yeah, well, this this is the difficulty, I suppose. It's, it's one thing getting a club in, but having that fan base and support is a real issue because you look at, you know, clubs around the country, although there's a massive upturn in attendance, which has been hugely significant this year. And, and you can see it in the terraces everywhere. The first, like I was in the first division game in uh, Galway uh, two weeks ago Galway and Cork place was jammed which is which is brilliant so like there is there is massive potential obviously you look, you look at the clubs like Waterford are big clubs and like there's you know, there's no football in Kilkenny or Evergreen are a really good club but fundamental to, to you know to going into league is having the right infrastructures in place we don't you, know, you don't want clubs just coming up for the sake of it you want them coming up to be proper club with facilities and you know we've we've all spoken before about the lack of facilities all around the country um, and, and our facilities do need to be better. So it would be great to see clubs, obviously, with the you know facilities in place and, and the ambition, you know, to improve improve the league and not just be there to take part and, and you know to really drive on and improve the standards. So look, it, it, there's loads of areas that you could look at, and um, but I think having having good facilities as well. Um, as the population is important. Yeah, so and a final point, we're just uh, Johnny McDonald at the moment is just having a, a few gremlins, uh, internet gremlins, which I think we, we all suffer and I get frustrated by. But uh, just on um, John Russell and Sligo Rovers. So John Russell has got Sligo Rovers job permanently. He's obviously been involved with the club as an assistant for a number of years now. Uh, what have you made of that decision from the club to give him the chance? Yeah, look, it's been a massive uh, move for, for Sligo and a brilliant opportunity for John Russell. Obviously, he knows the club inside out, has been there for five years, as you know, 
and um, but a great opportunity for him um, to stamp his his own authority on, on the position. Um, like I think they've gone for continuity there. He will know the players. He will know what's needed, um, and he will know like what changes he needs to make in order to to improve things. So, um, you know that continuity will should should help um, should help uh, the club and John obviously. Um, but it's like I said, it's it's a fantastic opportunity for him. Like he's been doing his coaching badges. I would know. I would have played with John at um, at Sligo a number of years ago. But he was doing his coaching badges back then. So he's a real, you know, he's real love for football and uh, lives and breathes. And, and and you need to do you need to do that in order to be a manager. So look, we would be wishing him wishing him the best in his new job. I just like to reiterate what you know what what Gary said. John, he's he's a brilliant student of the game. He loves the game. Great energy. Uh, and as, as Gary said, I'm delighted for him to get this opportunity. It's probably a good time for him to come in, talking about the continuity of it and all that. Uh, and he's full of energy. He knows the players. And they're keeping it close to home. So you know, probably they they used to go maybe outside and bringing lads in from England or Scotland or whatever. And uh, this is a really really good opportunity for John Russell Russell to uh, put his own stamp on this. Okay, perfect. Now we're going to move on to the tasks that we set you beforehand, which is obviously to pick an eleven uh, of the mid season so far, it's the first half of the League of Ireland campaign in the Premier Division. Um, we're going to start with uh, goalkeepers, and I think Gary, you're perfectly placed for this. So, who's your goalkeeper of the first half of the season so far? I found, I found it difficult because I think there's a lot of goalkeepers. Half a season, it, it, it's difficult to pick, but there's a lot of goalkeepers doing well. Um, but I've gone for McGinty because I think he's just so important to Sligo Rovers. I think he's been, you know, some of the big games like Shamrock Rovers, Derry City, he's been excellent. He's put in some really good performances. But like Shepard, Anang, Brian Marr, all these guys have been doing doing really well as well. I think, you know, I'd go with McGinty right now, but before the end of the season, it, it, it's hard to know. I think in terms of the back four, um, Redmond is nailed on for me. I think he's been the standout centre-back so far this season. It'd uh, be interesting to get Johnny's take on it, but he's been brilliant in the amount of interceptions he's had in, in the season, but he's been excellent for Pats. And we'll go Boyce on right back for Derry City. got a couple of goals like he did last year. I think he was the top scoring defender last year. Um, Andy Lyons on the left scored five goals for Shamrock Rovers. He's been in terrific form. And, you know, that that's, he's made that uh, turn from, from Bohemians to Shamrock Rovers and is really, you know, has hit the ground running and it's been been excellent uh, start for him. So I would go with Andy Lyons. I'm struggling with the centre back between Toll and, and Todd and Sean Rowan. Um, uh, at Rotten, I think he's been excellent. I think he'll only have half a season. I think he's going to be going back to Lincoln. But I'll go with Sean Rowan. I think he is you know left sided, left footed centre back, really good pass for the ball. And um, so for the halfway point, I go with him. Okay, and Johnny, before we get to your picks in midfield and in the uh, in the kind of forward tree, um, if we go back to uh, Gary's point on Redmond at St. Pat's, what have you made of his season? Yeah, he's a young player. It looks like he's a lot of experience about him. He's nice and calm. He's he's a, he's a proper defender. He's a good tackler. He's got good energy around him. He's not. The, I wouldn't say he's the the fastest centre half in the world, but he can get around the pitch. He, he's a great good tackler. You know, he, he's good voice. He's good communication skills, and he gets you a few goals as well, Raf. So yeah, good good lad. As I said, it, it looks like he's lots of experience on the young head. Yeah, and now your picks. So your three midfielders, I guess, maybe two more holding, and maybe one who's more a little oh. bit more advanced. I, I look at I've I picked out 
you know, I picked out six midfielders for the central area. Like, <laughs> I, 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 thought, I, I, lo- I, I love Gary O'Neill and what he does at Rovers. I don't think he gets enough time in, in playing time. I, I think Cameron Dummigan has done really well. Uh, he's played in a few positions. He's really good holding midfielder. Dawson Devoy, Jack Bourne, Will Patching, you know, so they, they, they're five names that we're trying to put into three. I think Jack, you know, for, for his experience and his skill in there, I think patching definitely. And I don't know whether I'd, I'd put young Dawson Devoy in there. I think he's a brilliant young player and he's great potential going forward. So I'll, I'll go with them three in midfield. And wide areas, I've, I've lots of... Lots of, lots of players. I've Dara Bournes, I've Liam Kerrigan, who played brilliant for the 21s last night. I think he's, you know, lots of people don't see him at UCD because they don't get featured too much on, on the TV. And it's always like about them, how, you know, not, not winning games. But I think he's been brilliant, Liam Kerrigan, this year. Dara Bournes. I think Daniel uh, Kelly for, has been brilliant for Dundalk. He's come into his own this season. And Matty Smith. So there's four and two wide areas. Uh, you know, you can pick two from either either side. I think Kelly has done really well, and I think, I think young young Kerrigan is in form at the moment. So I'd say Daniel Kelly on the left and Kerrigan on the right hand side, and leaving that we leaving Matty Smith and, and maybe Bourne's out. But it could be either any of them four, and then uh, up front, I think Jamie McGonigal has done great at Derry. Young player, he's done really really well, but. Uh, for a focal player, I like I like someone that you can play up top on their own, and I, I just think Pat Huben still holding his own there, and he's keeping Dundalk well in the title race this year. Yeah, and I suppose Anthony, uh, before we uh, wrap up, um, if you were to take charge of that team on Football Manager or FIFA or something, how do you think you'll do with it? Oh, I think we do pretty well, Rob. There's <laughs> a lot of good players referenced there. As Gary said, there I, I really like the keeper Shepherd Dundalk. I think he's had a great year, but um. Look, it'd be interesting if you go back to the lads at the end of the season, if there'd be many changes to, to that 11. As Gary said, you know, we're only halfway through, but um, we'll see once we start getting into the business end, you know, you might get a few more runners and riders and lads kicking on and getting stronger as the league goes on. But, um, well, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't have too many arguments there with, the, with that team the two lads have picked. Yeah, and then a final point before we go. So obviously Wales qualifying for their first World Cup in 64 years, um, which is quite quite the long wait. And uh, when you consider like 11 years ago, a team con- uh, which contained Gareth Bale and Ramsey and Hennessy when they were young players um, were involved in defeat to Australia where they were they ended up being ranked by FIFA 117th in the world. And you see how far they've come now. So Johnny, it's a brilliant story. It is when you, especially when you've got a bail in the team as well. But you know, look, you know, all the stuff that's went off the field as well, you know, with, with the manager not being there, the new manager coming in. So, you know, it's obviously maybe helped. It's definitely galvanized the team and uh, fantastic for them to qualify. Uh, Ukraine were probably very, very unlucky not to, to, to win the game. And, uh, but for a small nation, uh, I think we were one of our own boys over there, Noel Mooney, he was heading the, you, you know, the Welsh FA. He's, he's working hard with them. So uh, we might need to look uh, not too far away from home to see how other teams are doing things and uh, try and put our own uh, house in order. Yeah, I suppose, Gary, on, on a final point, I'll leave it to you. Um, what Johnny just said there, I mean, there are things and lessons that can be learned uh, beyond, you know, the day-to-day of picking up results, but just the kind of overall structures and just how you bring true young players and carry them through. And obviously, Wales just, just happened to have a golden generation, which has just kind mm-hmm. of peaked now. 
Yeah, they do. They've got really good. Like obviously, they've got that star quality in in, in Gareth Bale, and when he turns up for Wales, like he, he's phenomenal. We're probably just missing that marquee player, you know, in a central position that can do. Like we would have obviously had Robbie Keane and and Damien Duff and Roy Keane back in different generations and stuff. But we're missing that that big star. And you know, Bale, I think when he puts on a Welsh jersey, like he's been phenomenal for them. But having said that, the players around him, like there's lots of really really good pros. In that Welsh team playing at a good level and, and you know they're a really good team not just like but they have that that star power if you like but they, they, they've got lots of good players around them yeah so and as Gareth Bale said I think well he didn't say it it was just on a on a little banner that was put out I think a few uh, just after they qualified for Euro 2020 Wales golf and Real Madrid in that order obviously Real Madrid is not going to be on that banner anymore but anyway that brings us to a close anyway for for ourselves obviously Ukraine is the uh, is the first port of call on Wednesday 7.45 kickoff 7 o'clock on RT2 and the RT player if you can tune into that and we'll also have full coverage on RT.ie kind of minute to minute uh, updates of the game so Anthony Pine thanks a million for joining us thanks Raf. And uh, yeah, and Johnny and Gary, Cheers, thanks uh, for taking the time. Thank Cheers, Raf. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.